So today is Karen's and my 46th anniversary. July the 23rd, 1977, here's a picture. Yeah, Karen looks exactly the same, and uh, I, think, I think I look pretty much like that, except for the mustache. But uh, anyway, I tell you, she is the love of my life. She is a model of God's love and grace to me. She is a Proverbs 31 woman through and through. She's loving and wise and intuitive and resourceful. She's a wonderful um, mother and uh, an amazing Coco Mimi, as she is affectionately called. And she has stood by me and supported me through thick and thin and through good and, and the not so good. And I assure you that I would not be standing here today if it were not for her. So I love you. Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. It is if, uh, it's so good to see you today. If this is your first time here, we want to extend a special welcome to you. Most often on Sunday mornings, you'll find that we are studying our way through whole books of the Bible or long passages of Scripture. But typically in the summer, we do a topical sermon series that helps us dig deeper into some aspect of our journey of faith. And this summer, we're in a series entitled Church Matters, Church Matters, and we're laying out the case that in a day when the local church doesn't really matter uh, so much to a lot of people outside the church and even sadly to some inside the church, still the church matters because it matters to Jesus. Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead to bring his church into existence he sent his Holy Spirit to empower the church, to carry forward his mission in the world. He calls the church his body, and he calls the church his bride. And he promised that the church would be protected and preserved, and that the gates of hell would never take it down. And he's promised that one day he will come back for his church. The local church matters because it matters to Jesus, and if it matters to him, then it has to matter to the followers of Jesus. And to make the case as to why the church matters, we've been looking at the matters of the church. Things like why membership in a local church matters and why congregational worship matters, why spiritual formation matters, why serving matters, spiritual gifts matter, why uh, healthy leadership matters, things like that. And today we're going to look at why baptism matters why baptism matters. Now, let me begin by asking you some questions, and I want you to raise your hand really high, and this goes for those of you in Auditorium 1, even though I'm not there and I can't see you, the rest of the auditorium can see you, and it's important that we see how, uh, uh, well, you, you stay with me, you'll see. Uh, let me ask you this. How many of you here today were baptized or christened as a baby? Raise your hand. Okay, lots of people, all right. How many of you were baptized when you were a young child or a teenager? Raise your hand. All right, look around, yep. How many of you were baptized as an adult? Okay, wow. And how many of you were baptized, but sometime later in your life you got rebaptized? Okay, quite a few of you. 
And how many of you married couples have come from different church backgrounds that held different positions on baptism? Okay, should be two hands going up now. Um, and how many of you have never been baptized? Okay, quite, okay, all right. Now, uh, as, as you can see, many people here at Fellowship have come from all kinds of different church backgrounds, or maybe no church background, but of those who were raised in the church, different people here have been baptized in different ways at different times, and I imagine that most of you have an opinion about baptism. And it's been my experience that when it comes to talking about baptism, with some people, it's not uncommon for it to become kind of an emotional issue. And even though you might not be devoted to the church you grew up in, if I start telling you that you got baptized the wrong way and your baptism didn't count and uh, you got to be baptized our way for it to count, then uh, I know you're going to be emotionally upset with me and you don't want anybody. I understand you don't want some preacher telling you that, uh, that your priest or your pastor or your parents or your grandparents or your entire denomination was wrong. And so it's, uh, it can be an emotional issue. But we do need to talk about this, and let me tell you why. There's two reasons. First of all, we do a lot of baptizing in the church, uh, children and adults. And from time to time, you'll hear someone say something like this. We, we, we share the stories of those who are being baptized. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, I was raised in a church, but I drifted away from God when I was in college or in the military or whatever. And then I heard the truth about Jesus and he, he changed my life. And so I'm getting baptized today to let everybody know that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. Or sometimes you'll hear somebody say, um, I was christened as a baby or maybe I was baptized as a child or teenager, but I wanna be baptized today as a profession of my faith in Jesus. And so the question comes up, well, why are these people getting rebaptized? Wasn't the first one good enough? Didn't it count? And the reason that people get rebaptized is because of what we're gonna talk about today, and that is that they've discovered what baptism really means and what it is and what it isn't. Now, there's another reason I want to talk about baptism, and that is because each week we have people coming to Fellowship Greenville from all kinds of church backgrounds, and some of you uh, did kind of wander away from the church, and now you're coming back, and you might have been raised in homes where your parents took you to church, and when you left the church, when you quit going to church, they got very upset with you. But now you're coming back to church, and your parents have heard that you started going to church again. But they've heard that it isn't the same kind of church that you grew up in, and they're even more upset. I mean, it was bad enough that you quit going to church, but now you're going to something called a Fellowship Greenville. I mean, what in the world is that? Some kind of cult or something? And they don't know what you've gotten yourself into, and they would pretty much rather that you not go to church at all than to go to some church unlike the church that they raised you to to be in. And that's really hard on some of them, and consequently, it's can be hard on you. And so I want to explain why we do what we do and what the Bible says about baptism to help you, uh, if conversations permit, you could explain to them why um, you're doing what you're doing. So first, here's the way it's going to unpack it. I'm I'm going to cover two things. First of all, I want to tell you why we immerse people rather than sprinkle people and what the Bible says about that. And so I want to talk talk about the mode of baptism 
And then secondly, I want to talk about the meaning of baptism and why it matters and what the Bible has to say about that. So we're going to look at the mode and the meaning of baptism. Now, before we get started, I got to say one more thing, and that is one of the things that you'll learn very quickly if you attend here on a regular basis is that we base what we teach and preach on the Bible, not on church history, not on, uh, but even though church history is important, and uh, not, not on church tradition, even though tradition isn't always a bad thing, but we base what we teach and preach on what the Bible says. And that's because we believe that in this book, God has revealed to us who he is and how we are to live in relationship with him. Now, sometime back, I watched a great movie. It's called Seven Days in Utopia. Great movie. It's a golf movie. I don't play golf, but I like to watch golf movies. I don't play baseball anymore, but I love baseball movies. And uh, Robert Duvall uh, plays this ex-golf pro named Johnny Crawford. And at one point in the movie, he says this. I have a respect for tradition, but a passion for the truth. I have a respect for tradition, but a passion for the truth. On Sundays, we open this book with a passion for the truth, digging into the scriptures to find out who God is and how we are to live in relationship with him. And that's what we're going to do today as we answer the question, what is baptism all about and why does it matter? So let's jump in. (laughs) I didn't think about that when I said that in the first service, but the mode of baptism, all right? Now, before we look at what the Bible says, I want to give you a dictionary definition of the word baptism. But this definition doesn't come from Webster's Dictionary. It comes from uh, a dictionary that's called Liddell and Scott. And the particular dictionary... It's not a, 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 um, a religious book. It's a secular Greek dictionary, which was the language the New Testament was written in. And this Greek lexicon gives the definition of Greek words that go all the way back to the time of Socrates and Plato and up through New Testament times. So this isn't a religious book, but it's an incredible work of scholarship. Now, uh, back just after the earth's crust had hardened when I was in seminary, um, Liddell and Scott cost about $150, and in seminary, about the only place you could go to find one was in the library. But if one of your friends got a copy of Liddell and Scott, it was like everybody would ooh and awe all over it. And I mean, back in the day, $150 would cover a month and a half rent for Karen and me. Uh, So I always used the library copy. But today, you can go online and find an abridged version for free, if you can make sense of it. It is kind of hard to follow, but I want to read you the definition of the Greek word baptizo, which obviously is the same word as baptized. Unlike other Greek words that are translated, like agape is translated love and pastuo is translated believe or faith. The thing is, baptizo never got translated into English differently from the Greek. So, baptizo means baptism. And here's what the word meant, has always meant. Dip, dunk, plunge, or immerse. Dip, dunk, plunge, or immerse. Now, here's how it was used in ancient times. Sunken ships were known as baptized ships. It was used of people who were drowned. It was used of drawing wine by dipping a cup in in a bowl. 
it was used metaphorically to say somebody was over their head in debt. So if you're in debt, you can say, man, I'm baptized in debt. You know, hopefully that's not true of you, but uh, it was um, used also uh, to describe the process of dyeing cloth, which was a very common use of the word back in the day. The miller would take a piece of cloth and he would dip the cloth, immerse the cloth in dye and leave it there until the cloth took on the color of the dye. The point is, in the ancient world, baptizo was simply a common everyday word, not a religious word, and it meant to dip, dunk, submerge, sink, immerse, plunge, or drown. Now, before the time of Christ, the Jewish people began to use this word to describe something they did in a religious context. They had a process by which a non-Jewish person could go through in order to convert to the Jewish faith. So let's say you lived back in the day, and let's say you moved to Jerusalem from Ephesus, a Greek city in modern-day Turkey. So you were an Ephesian. You were a Greek, but you moved to Jerusalem, and as you watched the Jewish people do life, you saw that they worshiped one God, not a whole pantheon of pagan gods, one God, and over time, as you watched how the Jews lived, you became so impressed that you said, hey, is there any way I can become one of you? Well, there was a way to do that, and part of it was you had to study and learn the Torah, the Mosaic Law, and you had to give up eating certain foods, and you had to remove unclean things from your house. You had to go through all kinds of rituals. If you were a man, you had to be circumcised, so you better be serious about this thing. And at the end of the process, you had to be baptizoed. But here's the deal. No one baptizoed you you baptizo yourself. And so you and a whole group of people would go to a Jewish mikvah, and this is what it looks like. It's a big hole in the ground filled with water. And uh, there are like 50 of these around where the temple used to be, which you can see for yourself if you go to Israel with us in March of 2025. We now have dates for it. It's March um, uh, 18 through 28, 2025, I'm starting a a list. You don't have to pay any money. It's way out in the future. But last time we did this, it filled up just like that. We're going to do one bus. I can take us about 48 people. But uh, if you want to be on the list, um, email me, cboyd at fellowshipgreenville.org. What a Greek person would do that wants to become a Jew, you would go down into the mikvah, and you would go down into the water, and you would dip yourself underwater, And that ceremonial washing symbolized that you were leaving your old life behind and you're kind of identifying with the Jewish faith. It was like an initiation rite into Judaism. Well, just before Jesus began his ministry, something very unusual happened. One day down at the Jordan River, there was this guy named John, and he dressed really strange and ate grasshoppers and, and dipped them in honey. And he's, he's, run, he's down at the river, and he's preaching, repent, turn from your sins, get ready, get right with God. The Messiah is coming, and you need to be ready to meet him when he comes. And as the crowds heard John preach, they began to realize that they had, in fact, drifted away from God, and they began to repent of their sins And they came to John, and John did something that had never happened before, at least not like this. John took people down into the water, and he dunked them under the water. And people looked at him, and they were saying, look at that. John is 
John is baptizoing them. And because this was so unusual, and because John uh, was baptizing so many people, they started calling him John the Presbyterian. No, 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 no. Um, No, they they called him John the Baptist. John the Baptist, or better, John the Baptizer. Uh, You thought that was his last name, or the the head of a a denomination, didn't you? No, 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 no one had ever done anything like this before, so he got the nickname John the baptizer, because it was the best word to describe what he was doing. He was dunking people under the water. Now, there is a Greek word for sprinkle. It's the Greek word reino, and reino is a common word in the Bible, and it's used to talk about how priests would sprinkle blood on the altar of sacrifice. That was a very common word. But when it came to explaining what John was doing, They did not call him John the Rainist. They called him John the Baptist because baptizo, not reino, best described what John was doing in the Jordan with these people. All that to say, the first reason we immerse new believers is because that's what the word baptize means. It has always meant dip, dunk, immerse, submerge, plunge, and in Bible times, that it, that's what it meant before and during and after Jesus came. In Jim Thompson's first book, A King and a Kingdom, Jim talks about the fact that John Calvin, Presbyterian, Martin Luther, Lutherans, and a Catholic theologian named Hans Kung all say that baptizo means immerse. And it was the standard practice of the church until the middle of the third century. And here's some examples of ancient baptistries from from the first and second. I I love this. I would give anything if Tim Williams would build us a baptistry like this. I don't know where we would store it, but I I just love the picture of uh, the preacher standing in one of the cross wings and then laying somebody back into the cross. Here's another one. Uh, I think these were all from like up in Turkey somewhere. Here's the deal. There is absolutely no evidence in the New Testament that anyone ever sprinkled someone and called it baptizo. Now, I hear you. You're probably saying, well, Charlie, if you're so smart, then why does my whole denomination and all their scholars disagree with you? I mean, if you're so smart, why has generation after generation in my church group that I grew up in, why do they sprinkle babies? I mean, just because you got some fancy schmancy Liddell and Scott Greek lexicon, you're telling me I'm supposed to abandon my church's history? No, I'm not telling you that at all. I'm just saying you should examine the biblical evidence for yourself. And you'll find that the whole idea of sprinkling babies arose as a tradition in the church and actually a doctrinal diversion. I'll tell you why in a minute. It has no biblical support whatsoever. Nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to baptize babies either by sprinkling or dunking them or pouring water over them. Nowhere in the Bible are there any examples or references to a baby being baptized or someone being sprinkled. There's not one single verse in the Bible. Now, uh, there are denominations that, that teach that we should baptize babies because the New Testament symbol of the new covenant They say that baptism is the symbol of the new covenant. Like circumcision was 
the symbol of the old covenant, and you circumcised baby boys. Okay, that's kind of an interesting thing to think about, but it's not in the Bible. In fact, Jesus says the Lord's Supper, not baptism, is the symbol of the new covenant. And so I'd encourage you, go ask your priest or your pastor or your parent and say, I heard a whole different version of this baptism thing. Would you show me in the Bible where it says we should sprinkle babies? Would you show me just one clear example of someone baptizing a baby and they won't be able to show you one? And they'll admit they can't show you one. So where did the whole idea of infant baptism come from? Well, it came out of what was happening in the church about the third century. In some places, there was a transition from immersing to sprinkling, listen, which coincided with a transition from believing that your sins were forgiven by faith alone to believing that your sins were forgiven when you were baptized. So if you begin to believe that your sins are forgiven through the waters of baptism, then you better get those babies baptized as soon as you can. And that's how it arose. And these transitions were not based on what the Bible said. They came from what certain people in the church began to teach, which later became church tradition. But again, what you need to know is that here at Fellowship, as I said earlier, we base what we believe on the clear teaching of Scripture. And where the Bible is at odds with church history or church tradition, we go with the Bible because we respect tradition. We have a passion for the truth. And since the Bible teaches baptism by immersion, that's what the Greek word means, we immerse rather than sprinkle. Now, by the way, I got lots of Presbyterian friends and Lutheran friends and Episcopalian friends who are our Anglican friends that are, that are solid believers, and this would never cause me to not want to have fellowship with them. This is, I mean, this is not something that divides the church. Everybody has to seek this thing out and work it out for themselves. I'm just explaining how we work it out here for our church. So... I hear you. You're asking, okay, uh, so what I need to know, Charlie, is did my baptism count? Maybe it was when you were a young child or when you were a baby. Did it count? And to answer that question, the answer doesn't lie so much in the mode of baptism as it does in the meaning of baptism. In other words, I think God is a big God, and I don't think God's going to fall off his throne if you got sprinkled or poured over uh, rather than dunk. We don't do those other things, but I, I don't think it's about the mode. The issue is the is the meaning that you attached to your baptism. When it comes to baptism, the key issue is the meaning you attach to your baptism. In other words, simply dunking somebody under water or sprinkling water on their head, that's not baptism. It's not about the water or even so much how the water is administered as it is about the meaning. So we need to spend a few minutes talking about what what baptism means and why it matters. And to get started, let me ask a a more basic question, and that is, why do we baptize new believers at all? And the reason we baptize is because Jesus commanded it. So, uh, and we're gonna look at Matthew 28. You don't have to turn there. I'm gonna put it on the screen. But Matthew 28, Jesus has been crucified on the cross. He has risen from the dead. He will soon ascend back to the Father 
in heaven and send the Holy Spirit to take his place on earth. And these are his final instructions to the men who will carry his mission forward in the world, the men who will be the first leaders of the early church. And so I'm going to put it on, put what, these are his final instructions. I want us to read all, I want us to read it out loud together. All of us read it out loud together, okay? Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I want you to notice a couple important things here in the last words of Jesus. First of all, Jesus is speaking as the true head of the church. He has been given all authority, and that means what he says takes precedence over what we say or what we think. Next, notice that he commands his followers to go everywhere and do what? To make disciples. That is, they are to be actively involved in carrying the mission and ministry of Jesus forward in the world to all people everywhere, inviting people to become followers of Christ. Now, I want you to notice the logical progression in the passage. We go and tell others about Jesus Through our telling, some will believe and become disciples. Then we're to baptize them and then teach them how to follow Christ. That's the process. Go and tell, baptize those who believe the gospel, and teach them how to live as he lived. So it's go and tell, make disciples, believe, and teach. So baptism is a part of the disciple-making process. It's a part of Jesus' command, and it's an essential part of the church continuing to move Jesus' mission and mission forward in the world. So we baptize people because Jesus commanded us to baptize them when they become disciples. But you still may be asking, but why did Jesus tell, tell, tell us to baptize people to become disciples? I mean, what's the purpose of pushing somebody's head underwater and saying a few words over them? Why does it matter? To answer that question, we have to look at the meaning of baptism. So we're going to push rewind to look at some things we just talked about. When a non-Jewish person dipped themselves in the mikvah in order to become a Jew, they were identifying themselves with Judaism. They were publicly identifying themselves with God, with the God of the Jews and with the Jewish people. They were saying... I have turned from worshiping pagan gods, and by this act, I want everybody to know that I now worship and serve Yahweh, the God of Israel, and my loyalty and love and affection is now centered on Yahweh and his people. When John the Baptist baptized people, those people were identifying, first of all, with John and his message, but even more, they were identifying with a whole new community of faith that was waiting for and looking for the coming of Messiah. And so, by wading down into the Jordan River and allowing John to immerse them, they were publicly saying, I believe what John is preaching, and I'm preparing myself uh, for Messiah's coming along with all of you. 
And here in Matthew 28, Jesus' command, his command for his disciples to baptize new disciples carries that same emphasis. Put simply, baptism is a public, symbolic act of identifying yourself as someone who believes in Jesus and belongs to his church. Baptism is a public, symbolic act of identifying yourself as someone who believes in Jesus and belongs to his church. And so when someone is baptized, they're essentially publicly saying, I want you to know that I've turned from my old life and I have trusted Jesus as my Savior. I want you to know that I have become a Christ follower and it's my intent to follow Jesus all the days of my life. I want you to know that I am now one of you. In other words, when you're baptized, you go public with your faith. You're going public with your faith. You're publicly identifying yourself with Jesus and his church. Now, there's a passage and there's a story in Acts that really kind of drives this point home. In Acts chapter 19, I'm going to put it on the screen as well. And Acts 19, well, Acts 19, verse 1. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples. And he said to them, uh, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard about a Holy Spirit. Now, look what he says. He says, into what then were you baptized? Into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. And when they heard the good news about Jesus, they were baptized into him, into the name of Jesus. So the apostle Paul is traveling to Ephesus. He comes across some people who at some point earlier must have heard John the Baptist preach. They were baptized by him. They were convinced that his message was true. They repented of their sins. They were baptized by John as a way of identifying themselves with John's message and his messianic uh, community. And they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And spread, for some reason, they spread across the Roman Empire, telling people what John had been saying, repent, turn from your sin, get ready, Messiah's coming. And they were baptizing people into that message and into that community. But meanwhile, Messiah Jesus had come and they don't know anything about it because there's a long way from the land of Israel. They're over in Ephesus, but Jesus comes, he lives his life, he dies on the cross, rises from the dead, ascends back to heaven, sends the Holy Spirit to take his place. But these guys are still preaching John's message. Messiah's coming, get ready. Totally unaware that Jesus has come. And years go by, and Paul runs across these people who are disciples of John, and he says, no, 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 you don't understand. Look, Messiah has come, just like John said he would, and his name is Jesus, and he unpacks the gospel for them, and, and, and he tells them about how Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to live inside them, to, to, to guide them and give them power to carry on his mission in the world. And so when they hear the whole story, they say, we want to be baptized into Jesus, into the name of Jesus. In other words, they want to be rebaptized. Why? Because they had identified themselves with John, with his message and his movement. But now, after hearing about Jesus, about his message and his movement, 
They want to identify with him. They want to go public with their newfound faith in Christ. And that's the point. In baptism, you're going public with your faith. It's coming to a point where you say, I don't care what my family and friends think. I want people to know that I believe in Jesus. He's forgiven me of my sins and given me a brand new life with God. I'm one of his people, and I want everybody to know that. That's the point of baptism. It's like a wedding ring. I wear a wedding ring as a way to publicly identify myself as a married man. I put the ring on 46 years ago. It shows that I belong to Karen. I'm a marked man. And if I take my ring off, it doesn't mean I'm not married anymore because the ring doesn't make me married. It's just a way to show that I'm married. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It's a way to show people that you become a Christ follower. So this is very important. A person isn't saved when he or she is baptized, and a person isn't saved because he or she is baptized. Baptism is a symbol on the outside of something that has happened on the inside, an outward symbol of an inner change of heart that has taken place when I, that took place when I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Baptism is an outward profession of faith of an inward confession of faith, a profession based on an inner confession. Again, the ring doesn't make me married. It's a way to show that I'm married. Baptism doesn't make me a Christian. It's a way to show people that I'm a Christian and that I become a Christian. Now think about it. Jesus was baptized and he didn't need to be saved and he didn't need for his sins to be forgiven. And there's no record that Jesus ever baptized anybody. I mean, so think about that. If the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost, and if, if baptism was essential to salvation, then surely Jesus would have baptized people himself. But Jesus never baptized anyone. No, no, because over and over again, he emphasized that faith in him alone was the sole condition to receive new life and the forgiveness of your sins. Listen to Jesus' words, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 5, 24, for whoever hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come under judgment but is passed from death into life. John 6, 47, I tell you the truth, everyone who believes in me has eternal life. It is faith alone that saves And you see many examples of this as you read through the book of Acts. I'll look at two. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, when a prison guard asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul's answer was short and faith-based. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And the jailer believed, and later that night, after Paul shared the gospel with the rest of his family, they all believed And he and his whole household were baptized. Acts 18.8. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many Corinthians, when they heard the gospel, were believing and being baptized. Now, these are just two examples, but these stories make the point that baptism is a symbolic act that pictures a new 
believer's new relationship with Christ and his church. Now, by the way, many people who teach infant baptism cite passages like Acts 16 and Acts 18, where it says that someone and his whole household were baptized. And infant baptism people say, see, the man's whole household was baptized, and no doubt that included babies. No doubt. I seriously doubt it. Why? Because, first of all, the text doesn't say that. It doesn't mention babies in those families, but also a close reading of these texts. Acts 16 and Acts 18 say very clear, clearly that the jailer and Crispus believed along with their whole household. In other words, however old the family members were, they were all old enough to believe, and that's the point. That's the point. And so according to the teaching of Scripture, baptism follows belief. Baptism follows belief. It comes after you personally trust Jesus as your Savior. It's the first step of obedience to Jesus' command in Matthew 28. Go and tell, believe, and be baptized. Baptism follows belief. Another way to say it is that baptism without belief is meaningless. You cannot personally identify with something you don't understand. And that's why we don't baptize babies. Infants aren't capable of understanding the gospel. They're incapable of faith. They're incapable of declaring their allegiance to Jesus or their intention to follow Jesus and be a part of his people. In the New Testament, there's no such thing as a baptized person who has not exercised faith, not one. And so the consistent teaching of the New Testament is that baptism follows belief. And so that leads to the final question, and that is, have you really been baptized? Let me answer that, uh, so don't throw, throw anything at me. But if you were sprinkled as a baby, you haven't been baptized. You've been christened, but actually there's a problem with that. Because to christen means to make a Christian. So... Think about the connection to how there was that transition from faith alone to baptizing babies for the so their sins would be forgiven. You don't, nobody is made a Christian through water. Now, uh, I was raised in a Moravian church, or I was christened in a Moravian church. I wore a christening gown, so this is Charlie in a dress. Um... And I tell you, I, my pictures are deteriorating. I mean, this looks like it was taken in 1912 or something. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite that old. But hear me, if you were christened like me, obviously that was a very meaningful event to your parents. Your parents dedicated you to God like my parents dedicated me to God. Now, your parents may have believed that by having you christened as a baby that that made you a Christian. But have we seen that wouldn't be true. But our parents were just doing what they're taught. And in a very real sense, they were, pro they were professing their faith and their intent to raise you to be a Christ follower. So no doubt, it was a meaningful event to them. And I would never discount the value of their faith and their desire to see you grow up to follow Jesus. In fact, that's why we have parent dedication here. 
to give parents the opportunity to make a public commitment to raise their children to grow and follow Jesus. And Next Gen Ministry does a great job with that. You can go online and look up um, baby dedication or parent dedication. And uh, we, they have a, a whole afternoon of it. It's, it's really good. It's a really great thing. Family, friends attend. We do parent dedication, baby dedication, but we don't sprinkle babies because that's not baptism according to the Bible. Why not? Again, because as a baby, it wasn't about your decision. It was about a decision your parents made on your behalf. As a baby, it wasn't about your faith. It was about your parents' faith. Now, some of you, maybe you grew up in a church like the one I grew up in, and at a certain age, all your friends uh, were joining the church, and in a special meeting, they were all saying, well, I'll go down if you will. Well, I'll go down if you will. And you walked an aisle or you made a commitment at a youth camp, you know, and you all threw pine cones on the fire as a way to symbolize your faith, which baptism's a better symbol than pine cones on the fire. But anyway, uh, but so you got all caught up in this, well, I'm 8 or 10 or 12 or 15, and it's time to join the church thing, or all my friends are becoming Christians, so I guess I should do that too thing. And so you went forward at, at camp or you walked the Nile after the ninth stanza of Just As I Am and someone filled out a card on you and you were baptized a week or so later. But really, you weren't going public with a decision you made to follow Christ. It was more about your friends, what your friends were doing. And you know what? That wasn't a baptism either. Why not? Because baptism is not about a desire to join the church. It's not about some age or stage in life. Baptism is not about your church's faith, your parents' faith, your friend's faith. Baptism is about your personal faith. It's your personal faith going public. It's about you being at a point in your life where you know you've trusted Christ and you want everybody to know it. You want to publicly identify yourself with Jesus and his church. You want to go public with your Faith, And that's what baptism is all about, and that's why it really matters. So why do we baptize people by dunking them underwater? Because that's how the word was used before Christ, during the time of Christ, and after the time of Christ. It was used that way both outside the church and inside the church. It means to immerse. And why do, people, why do we baptize people after they believe in Jesus? Because Jesus commanded it. And the early church practiced it as the first step of obedience to Jesus and as a way of going public with your faith. It's not about, again, it's not about your parents' faith, your church's faith, your friend's faith. It's about your personal faith in Jesus. And baptism is nothing more than that, and it's nothing less than that. Now, I'm not a huge NFL fan, but I love college football. I look forward to the fall every year, and I had somebody ask me this morning, how do you think FSU is going to do this fall? And I said, they're going to kill it. The recruiting has been great. It's, 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 I'm just looking so forward to it. And I just love the, the atmosphere uh, in, in stadiums, and, even, and if, even if you can't go, they'll show you on TV, but you see this kind of thing. I mean, uh, fanatic fans here, and then uh, or these two guys... And, I, you know, I, these guys have been around a long time. They must be 60 or 70. I, don't, I, I, I never have been able to figure out how do you sign up to be the gold sparkle guy, you know, like, but somehow they do. Or uh, that's not as crazy as this Clemson fan. 
Like that's, that's, that's out there right there. And, uh, or uh, this uh, Gamecock fan who's permanently branded. So let's not let Jim Thompson see that. Um, or this baby Gamecock fan. I mean, now this kid doesn't have a choice. I guess it's kind of like infant baptism. It's his parents' fanness, not his personal fanness. At least not yet anyway. Now, even if you don't go to the extremes, most of us, like, who have a team, a college that we went to, or we've adopted a team when we moved to the state of South Carolina or whatever, or we're still faithful to Ohio State or whatever, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, wear, we'll wear caps and we'll wear... Uh, scarves and earrings and we'll put stickers on our car and, and flags on our car. Why do we do that? Well, it's simple. Because we want to identify with our favorite team. We want everybody to know this is my team. You can see it because I'm wearing an FSU hat. We, we, we want to go public And let others know of our love and loyalty for our team. Well, I mean, I don't know of a a fan who, I just don't know if I want to put that hat on today because there's so many people in the crowd. You know what I mean? We're not ashamed to wear our colors. And so I guess it comes down to the question, do you have the same love and loyalty for Jesus as you do your college team? And the question gets more specific is that, have you moved from your parents' faith or your church's faith or no faith to a personal faith in Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone to forgive your sins and give you a new life? If not and you want to, all you have to do is tell Tell God that's what you're doing, that you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus to forgive your sins and to give you new life. And then, and then the question is, well, how about baptism? How about publicly identifying the fact that you've put your faith and trust in Christ? And maybe you've done that a long time ago, but you never got around to being baptized. Baptism is just the way to publicly show others your love and loyalty to Jesus. It's nothing more than that. It's nothing less than that. And I'll tell you this. I've talked to lots of people who wrestled through while I was christened with, when I was a baby, just like I did. And when they decided they, that was their parents' faith, this is my personal faith, and they, they got baptized Every single one of them said, I'm glad I did that because that was very meaningful to me. They never, I've not talked to anybody who's ever done that and they've regretted it. So if you're interested in getting baptized, um, I encourage you to stop by the next step table out in the commons. There's some information there. There's a, uh, there's, there actually is a little brochure on baptism there. You can take a picture of that QR code and it'll take you to the baptism page online. Uh, Our next baptism is on November the 12th. We always have a class to kind of go over these kinds of things and talk about the story, your story, your personal story of coming to faith and how God has been working in your life. We talk about all those kinds of things because that's something that 
someone would read on your behalf on that day. So baptism's coming up, and I, I, it's my prayer and my hope, and I'll just be on, real upfront with you. Like one of my goals in preaching this message was all of those of you who said you've trusted Christ but you haven't been baptized, it's my prayer and my hope that you would do so. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. And Lord, we, we want to hold what we've talked about today with humility because, Lord, I understand that there's brothers and sisters uh, all over the world that hold different views than what I've presented today. And, uh, and we love them, and many of them are actively involved in carrying the mission of Jesus forward in the world. And we're grateful to co-labor with them. But God, I thank you that, that here, how we understand the scripture here, it's been so neat to see through, through the years how you work in people's lives and you bring them to a point of faith And then when they go public with their faith, what a time of celebration and rejoicing it is. And I pray that we see more and more of that in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.